Awesome, Bohan. Welcome to the future of fashion business. Happy to have you on. Very excited for our conversation. Thanks for making the time, man, especially so late. Oh, no worries. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, I am very excited about today's conversation. I think that I haven't had the opportunity to talk about a lot of people that have been involved like you, you know, in both aspects of the industry, both the Chinese uh, aspect or perspective from the fashion scene and creative scenes, and also uh, Western sense of, you know, perspective in fashion industry. So I'm very, very excited about what we're going to talk about today. But before we actually get into, you know, the specifics of all of that, I do want to, me, myself, and obviously the audience, I have a big struggle introducing my guests because they do a lot of different things and it's hard it's hard it's hard enough to introduce yourself as a person let alone somebody else introduce you for you so can you give us a little a little short introduction about who you are and what you do for people that are out there listening sure um i mean like you said i always find it even hard to introduce myself uh and then i you know like working as a pr i'm actually the worst pr for my own (laughs) um (laughs) So I guess, yeah, I guess I can dive back a little bit. Uh, so I'm Bohan. I am originally was born and raised in China. Uh, and then I studied like in high school in, in Canada and then like university in Hong Kong and also in Paris. Um, and originally I didn't really study or was thinking about pursuing fashion as a career. I studied um, politics and journalism um, and a bit of French. Um, and then, you know, I always kind of dreamt to become a diplomat uh, growing up. <laughs> so that was, kind of the, that was kind of the career path there. Um, and then I was studying in Paris and then just like randomly one day I was going to school on the metro. Um, and then, you know, this lady just asked me if I wanted to go casting for a model agency. So I just I was like, OK, sure. Yeah, let's <laughs> make some extra cash during university. Paris is, is, is expensive. Um, so I kind of just ended up modeling there, but I'd never really did it too seriously because I always had the school on the side. Um, and I very much enjoyed like writing all the time and kind of also because, you know, because of my studies. So I did a lot of like writing on my own like blogs back then when people used to use blogs. Uh, and, um, and also kind of freelancing for a couple of um, publications here. Um, and then, yeah, so that's kind of how I started and got into the fashion industry in the very first place. And then after I graduated, um, I worked at Mr. Porter for four years, um, which is if, yeah, I guess people, I guess they know about Mr. Porter is this kind of luxury e-commerce, um, from London. And then I was kind of in charge of developing their, um, the Asia Pacific side of the business. Um, in PR and then later on also in kind of content production as well Um, so that was fun you know definitely I think working with um, like I think Mr. Porter had when I was there about 500 brands and then obviously you have brands ranging everything from like Tom Ford, Brunello, Cuccinelli to Off-White, Balenciaga Mm. so also like all these really interesting new and upcoming brands from around the world Um, so you kind of so I kind of I guess from then developed this very wide spectrum of how brands and you know different brands from different places in the world um, work can develop uh, what's the message obviously you know we were working on the ground here in Asia and I think a, a big part of it I found was that you know you always needed to find the resonance uh, or why people in Asia should care about this tiny story uh, from this tiny place in you know the middle of America for example um what's the connection there because I think I was also growing up in a time I think our whole generation of um, 
people in China was growing up kind of in the period of time when you can feel like the global macro geopolitical economy was shifting and also the positioning, how we feel our identities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, that I was definitely a very big part um, that, you know, I had no one to kind of, not, not no one, like, but, you know, my boss back then, who I really respect, um, like he was Australian, he worked in Asia for a very long time as well. Uh, but I think a lot of the stuff that goes on in China and South Korea and Hong Kong, Singapore and stuff, you also kind of have to like maneuver and learn through just doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of, yeah, I guess I, <laughs> uh, but Mr. Buddha for sure uh, had a very big impact on me. Um, I think in terms of how they combine content with commerce, um, which is still very much at the core of, you know, I think my belief right now, um, when we're, whenever we're approaching content, PR communications, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. Um, and then during my time there, I also, you know, I was, I always wanted to like be mega busy. <laughs> I think that's still a very annoying, uh, <laughs> like straight about myself. Um, so I kind of like, what did I do? I, I also started a brand, uh, was a bag brand with a couple of my friends, but they're all based in like um, Copenhagen and Stockholm. We were like good friends before we did that. So we like, do, like you know, we were, I was like doing the own shooting of the campaign. We had to do showrooms and then uh, have to figure out our own e-commerce, uh, logistics, shipping. Uh, and I have to, I also like was writing different kind of content on the website, uh, manage all of your own social media. So I think the brand was definitely, you know, it was a very fun project to, for everyone to collaborate. Um, and we literally had the brand over like Skype back then. <laughs> when people, when people... <laughs> uh, we were all based in like, you know, Paris, Copenhagen, Stockholm, and I was in Hong Kong at the time. Um, and we just kind of, yeah, we met like twice a year in Paris for the showrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the rest of the time, we kind of just did it, you know, in our own places. And it kind of, yeah. So I think that was definitely a fun project. And I also wrote kind of like columns here and there. Um, and yeah, I kind of kept myself busy, I guess. <laughs> and then uh, in 2019, I made the decision to move to Shanghai. And then kind of one thing led to another. I like ended up now <laughs> with this um, with Bow Project, which is uh, uh, so we're a company that does um, communications. Uh, we do creative direction, so like kind of creative production for advertising campaigns um, mm-hmm. and and also events and also social media because all the social media in China kind of runs on a completely different system. So that's actually quite a big chunk of the workload. It's like, because here, you know, a lot of the brands in overseas, they use Instagram and that's kind of the one and only place you need to be on. And in China, there's like a million different <laughs> social media ecosystems that run parallel to the rest of the world. Um, so you also need to, you know, all the time think about how do you take those things and then translate and each social media kind of had their own algorithms and ecosystem and way of thinking and how do you use the brand's content or also we all you know very very more like more and more so nowadays we have to create localized content as well mm-hmm. um so that you know people really resonate so you can really feel this kind of shift of yeah of the market um i guess since my career <laughs> of course Awesome, man. And, and when it came to, you know, starting the PR agency, or I guess, well, how would you, how would you, what would you say Bo, uh, Bo Project essentially is? Is it more uh, PR? Is it more creative direction? Because I know it's a it's mixture. <laughs> because, um, t- like, I think, to be honest, when we, when I started, um, there weren't also as many 
similar competitor well, not competitor but like kind of models we could uh, follow or you know of course you know there are amazing um, PR agencies out there that I really respect uh, both locally and also internationally um, there's also amazing kind of creative direction artists uh, like kind of campaign advertising agencies out there as well amazing event agencies um, and you know nowadays we're like I was joking about we probably have to start an art consultancy agency nowadays or the department uh, because we, we're kind of getting more and more into that area as well. Um, but, you know, I, I just always feel like I kind of don't want to define it as a PR agency or like a creative agency. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's always hard because I always I think this also came from my nature of always wanted to try and do everything. <laughs> right. Um, or because also I think on the other hand is that I feel like all these things should be linked together instead of traditionally, you know, you kind of have to go out to different partners and, you know, agencies with completely different thinking. And then, for example, if you go to a creative agency, they just think everything's super creative, but then they don't really, um, you know, previous, you know, like, um, like sometimes they probably lose the message or like if this thing will really resonate. Right. Um, and that's kind of where you need the PR department to come in and be like, hey, we need, this is not going to work. We need to shoot this thing in this way, featuring this kind of people um, mm -hmm. so that people are relevant. Uh, and also, you know, you have the, um, let's say, even like working with the brand's designers. Uh, like I think previously you have a lot of designers. I think, no, like most designers, they have their own vision. They have their own concepts. Um, and then they create this thing. And then they kind of just like give it to the next level and the next level to execute and spread and stuff. Right. Um, and I always felt like that like stream needs to be not revolutionized, but like updated a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So that, you know, for example, I feel like previously, you know, sometimes I would get content or assets uh, that was perhaps produced by our European colleagues or American colleagues. Um, and then I just felt like, okay, um, people here don't care. Right. <laughs> so then later on, you know, in the process, uh, I started, you know, also participating in the initial creation part of the content or the concept. Uh, mm -hmm. to make sure that this is whatever content that we create is a message that people will believe and care. Right. And then the PR parts gets easier and then everything becomes a lot smoother. Uh, or like when, like even talking to the designer and say, this, these are the people you should potentially think about collaboration because that will have an impact. Um, and then they kind of go there again. Mm. Um, I feel like, yeah, I think definitely that Dolce & Gabbana um, incident uh, was it 2018 yeah um when it happened i could kind of feel like it was a paradigm shift of how kind of foreign brands enter china i think they're like okay shit <laughs> they suddenly realize okay yeah, we can't just whatever, yeah we can't just kind of do whatever we 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 think is good we really have to listen to the local teams and experts who are people who are actually in the culture mm -hmm. uh they understand a lot deeper of what's right what's wrong um, and then, you know, like now a lot more and more of them respect, uh, obviously also because China has a completely different rule of playing. Um, yeah, of course. Awesome. And when you decided to start the, uh, you know, bow project was what was the motivation behind it? Was it that you spotted a gap in the marketplace that needed fulfillment and you were like, Hey, I have the skill sets that are required for this. Was it just literally just having you like a, like an entrepreneurial need? Uh, what was the, the biggest motivation? 
to be honest, like <laughs> I literally started the company because I had to like <laughs> issue invoices because <laughs> at the beginning I just wanted to freelance. <laughs> um, I moved to Shanghai. I was like, oh, you know what? Like I did. Um, I worked for four years in a big company, and I just kind of want to like take a chill pill. <laughs> and then I kind of arrived, and then you know I was friends with a lot of uh, uh, um, Chinese designers now who are you know making, you know they're all becoming like these superstars. Um, from quite a while, like a while back, and we were just you know friends before. Uh, and I remember when I moved back to Shanghai, um, kind of it was Shanghai Fashion Week, and then everyone was like, "Oh, actually, can we work together?" Um, so I was like, "Oh, okay, shit, okay, then I better like start make everything formal and like issue invoices and stuff like that." Right. Um, and I just kind of it kind of just led from that started from there. So you know for sure, like we work with a lot of like foreign brands coming into the Asian market, but also equally um, a lot of homegrown creative talents, um, designers, brands who are, you know, not only growing up here, but also they're kind of this new generation of Chinese designers that are, I was, we was, we, we call it like on the same playing field as the rest of the world because right. of the internet, you know, like. Instagram. Yeah. The Feng Chang Wang's, the, um, the project Nidu, which one is the, the really strong one coming up? Is it Nidu project? Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know which one you mean. Yeah, yeah. Didu, didu. It was didu, didu. Didu, yeah, yeah. Didu, is a good friend. Yeah, she's. I think that generation is. I think that kind of we're kind of in that generation where, you know, we all studied abroad. We know what's going on in Europe and the US. Um, you know, everyone studying Parsons, Antwerp, CSM or LCF. Yeah. Um, we, like we get it. Like what well, we learn, of course, a lot of the methodologies through um, school or previous job experiences. And we kind of, you know, see this wave of people coming back here and just with this knowledge and skill set and then doing something that's different and original here. Right. Um, so I feel like that's super exciting. And that was kind of the movement. I felt like, okay, I really need to be part of uh, this movement. Of course. Um, and what do you think is the biggest motivation for people to, you know, go back to Shanghai after experiencing, you know, uh, Western creative culture? Uh, it's funny because I, I was always thinking about this because um, like, I think we're also the generation that when we were young, we always wanted to leave. Exactly. Uh, that's what I mean, because that's, that's like the dream, right? The dream is to go become a designer, go to New York, be in Parsons, be in CSM, maybe start a brand in London. But a lot of people are going back to Shanghai. And what's ironic is that they're going back to Shanghai, but not really to just focus on the Chinese market. They're going back to Shanghai to expand internationally. So what do you, what yeah. do you think the mindset behind that is? I think it's that, uh, I think our generation grew up in a time when obviously China was also growing economically. Yeah, yeah. Um, when we were younger, obviously, you know, like resources are like, you know, for sure we're from um, like comfortable families, which, you know, obviously we're super, we're already really, really privileged. And our parents' generation were the, the generation that was really like fighting for the kind of infrastructure and the, the base of uh, our current economy. Of course. Um, so I think a lot of our kids in our generation had the, the you know, huge privilege to be, to be, to, to be able to study abroad. Um, and then when we first went outside, I remember I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. I want to like, <laughs> I'm going to like set up or I don't know, work. And um, in Paris, when I was studying there, I was like trying to apply for jobs and stuff like that. 
Um, obviously, I think one, it was very, very hard to get working visas. <laughs> uh, I wrote a lot about kind of syst systematic racism <laughs> when I was in <laughs> back then and a lot of like dire racism here and there that we yeah, I guess yeah. we I experienced personally I can't speak for everyone though but um and then secondly I think it was uh I think when we were like kind of graduating uni and then started working and that was a good time that was kind of the time when there was something really you can smell and feel that there's something going on in Shanghai that's about to like bubble up yeah um I think yeah back then it was like labelhood for sure that was kind of the platform that presented a lot of the young designers um, since the very beginning so you know definitely we have to give credit to them uh, there's still very much presence in the Shanghai Fashion Week calendar so they're kind of like they're like the kind of incubator of new designers so a lot of you know new designers were given the opportunity to and also be very much supported here um, so that's why a lot of people were willing to come back here so I think at the beginning you know some of them would do a show in London or in Paris or Milan or New York and then do another one here uh, for the domestic audience. And I think for the domestic audience, the show was very interesting is because they always do two shows. So the first one is for like press media and buyers and influencers and stuff. And the second one is always open to public. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of like, so we always do two shows uh, back then for the neighborhood designers. You can definitely see, see this like huge passion and public involvement and engagement um, that was, you know, like explosive. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why a lot of the, you know, designers chose to, I think at the beginning, kind of like do it there and here. And then later on, they're just like, oh, actually, we can also just do it here and then send the materials outwards. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, you know, probably a lot of them also have um, showrooms in Europe at the same time as well. Or, you know, I think I feel like nowadays where we are becomes more less and less restricted. Yeah, it's not actually. really relevant. Yeah. Yeah, like I can do one season here and then one season in Paris and the next season, I don't know, virtually uh, and then the next season not in the calendar. I feel like this traditional sensibility has been changed, of course, since also since COVID um, and also because of, you know, Instagram of course, <laughs> and all the media platforms. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So pretty much they, they, you know, they dreamt, they went to the West, they experienced the West, maybe something as, as you said, as trivial as just have, having difficult of, with finding visas or any other reason whatsoever motivate them to go back home. And then going back home, they noticed that there really was a cultural shift of, of true appreciation and, and, and value for, for, for fashion designers, for local fashion designers to not only focus on, you know, their local markets, but also to expand internationally. So that's pretty much what what it is in a in a in a nutshell, right? I think yeah, I think kind of um, you know, to to how would I put it? Like kind of the first part. Um kind of you know because because I'm and, and sorry to interrupt because I'm 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 looking at it as a perspective of somebody that's from your generation as well. Because how old are you? 20 28? 27. You're exactly the same age as me, right? So I, I can sort of understand uh, you know, the motivations. I'm from Mexico originally. I went to London. I studied in London. I went through the exact same process just from a different country. Uh, I don't have that. Like if I, I'm in Mexico right now, uh, sort of like as a, uh, nice. as a sort of holiday, you know, and, but I cannot see myself developing professionally here, right. let alone the fashion brand here. You know, the, the infrastructure is not here. None of those factors are here, but even if they were, I probably wouldn't be here in Mexico, you know? Uh, yeah. So I, I do want to understand like, what is it that makes people in China go back to China and truly be well, motivated to stay there? Is it, again, 
I understand the shift that it went to, but is it, is it, is it some sort of like this mindset of wanting to represent the country internationally? Is it something that like, what is it? What, it, what is that motivator that like that strong motivator yeah. for you guys? I think um, in our generation is a little bit less about representing the country internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for sure, I think, at, uh, I think number one is the domestic market for sure. Right. You know, it's a huge, fashion consumption market um, and also we're kind of experiencing this times in the last decade was this also you know for sure the local market had this growing sense that oh actually local designers and like Chinese designers um, their concepts and ideas and stuff are just as good or you know or they start to value local and foreign brands in a whole new, in a whole new way so and I there's think- a local <clears throat> market for it you know you can actually yes, make good sure. a good living off of it yeah yeah for sure uh, so I think I, I always say kind of we, we're now at the Chinese designer generation 3.0, <laughs> which was uh, like, I think the first generation was like the ones who um, like they were, you know, they, they were like, they call themselves like something, something New York or something, something Paris. <laughs> uh, and then they kind of the first generation kind of like was more outwards um and then you know they wanted to first establish in the west and then come back uh and then the second generation was kind of like they wanted to come start from china and be like we're chinese designers and then they're super proud of that uh and they wanted to like show the world what like chinese design is Mm -hmm. Uh, and then now we're kind of at the third generation where also i guess people are our age as well we care a little bit less about this now uh we're more like oh yeah but like i'm you know uh you know, I'm this, but my my identity is also not just Chinese, Chinese, you know, we're Mm -hmm. all kind of very fluid, uh, third, fourth, fifth culture, Chinese people now. Um, And I think not just the designers who studied abroad, I think, you know, for a lot of people as well. Yeah, 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 Um, of course. Now we're more like, oh, you know what, Um, we want to scream less about where we are, like where we're from, but just about who we are and what we think. Mm-hmm. um so not to have people put us into the chinese designer box of course um and i think yeah it was very much this delabelizing um movement that's going on which also makes us more international because uh and you know like whatever we're doing i think amongst all the designers like didu windows and stuff that ray for example uh who won the Karl lagerfeld prize last year i think mm-hmm. this generation chinese designers are doing things that are a lot more universal we want to do things that the world can all resonate in a way uh, mm-hmm. and find their connections. I think that it was the same as, um, you know, kind of us trying to help Western, like foreign brands coming to China and find their resonance here. We're also similarly trying to find the resonance globally. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I feel like this is definitely working. And, I, you know, like people would say, oh, like, when, like, you know, this brand doesn't look like a Chinese brand. Uh, and it's good. We want to change that perception. It's like, we're not all just like dragon embroideries, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like we, we're also like, you know, if you look at Windows, it's like super sci-fi, futuristic, alien, anime, everything merged together. That's super contemporary Chinese in a way that mm-hmm. no European designers at, the, at this time of day of time would go there because we're, you know, for us, we live in a hyper technological society. Uh, we watch anime and like kind of drag shows now is like a huge thing. You know, we're kind of influenced by all kinds of stuff. And that's contemporary Chinese, mm-hmm. in our opinion. 
um, it reflects our society and our our current state of of the generation. Interesting. Yeah, I yeah, know, and I can definitely relate with with everything that you're saying uh, again to a level because I, I I personally went through a very very similar process, and I do understand this. Um, the, the this fluidity of this almost fluidity of like cultural identity you know so you sort of are able to understand how every country uh, identifies itself and therefore have like an international view of how everything works and, and and integrates with each other in both the challenges and the productive parts of it uh, so I definitely understand where you're coming from and I do find it very very interesting I think that in a way has been probably the single most biggest contributing factor of you know cultural shifts like this is being able to, you know, verse yourself in how the world works internationally, especially through creatives. Uh, but that said, uh, going, I wanted to go back a little bit to when you started the, the PR agency, because I guessing in a way that's what you do like that, that identity, that philosophy that reflects itself in the way that you do business. And the fact that you, well, I don't really want to, you know, box myself into just being PR or just being creative. Like the, it, it's funny how the, the the creative sphere is ever so often demanding this almost generalized yet specialized approach to every single facet of the industry. And that's what you're doing pretty much with Boat Project, right? Kind of, yes. <laughs> Even though <laughs> all my all my uh, teammates are like, oh my God, are we going to do that as well? Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, we can do it. And I know we can do it better than like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's it's a mixture of that and of your personality i think it's very much my personality that i just i mean like i think to, we always joke about how we're we're slowly becoming an end-to-end -end process in fashion <laughs> it's like it's also you know like i myself sometimes do some shootings and then i'm also very much encouraging my team like uh, everyone in the project to like develop their own personality their own skills interests hobbies you know, one is a, like I'm. I started DJing like uh, not not long ago, uh, and then one of our colleagues is also a DJ, and then another one's an artist, another one's a model, another one's like a, a painter, and the other one wants to write poems. Another one is like you know Jackson Wang's photographer. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone kind of has their own character, and I also wanted to change the perception of like. Um, I I don't know. Like I, I I think I didn't really have like a very distinct business plan. I just always did like kind of had the company or the you know this this family in a way that i feel like is right um uh, you know with this with the right values like i don't want you know it's it's quite equal uh you know i i make everyone vote on decisions like whether we should work with a brand or not we have mm -hmm. all discussed together i don't want to be kind of the dominant uh kind of dictator in this situation <laughs> um and you know everyone's very much uh, you know a very i want to yeah, it's very democ dem democ democratized. Democratized in a way um, and also feels fresh and young. And I think that's the only way that you can have new creativity because I can't come up with all the ideas, even though, you know, like everybody has super different perspectives on things. Uh, and, you know, Boat Project works because everybody has their idea input into the, into the core. Um, sometimes I, pro I probably just need to like refine it a little bit. Um, and yeah, you know, like I, I wanted to keep the company young with like fun spirit. Uh, so that's how you can move things forward. But at the same time, you know, whatever we're doing behind is also super professional. Um, so I feel like to change a little bit from traditional agencies as well, mm. where you feel like everyone's like stiff and then, you know, they, they're told something by the HQ and then they execute and that's it. 
like sure. sure they can execute super well but there's lack i always feel like there's lacking a little bit of fun or spark in there <laughs> mm-hmm. okay yeah. no i completely completely get what you're saying yeah so it's uh um, you you give people the incentives to find their own creative outlooks outside of work so that they can bring those new perspectives into work and then your role is just managing that process you know being able to, kind of. you know, embrace everybody's ideas or embrace everybody's point of view and then just adapt and tailor it based on, you know, the specifics of, of, of the business, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I mean, because yeah, I always tell them I did a whole bunch of side hustles. <laughs> like, so I very much encourage you guys to do a whole bunch of like side hustles because those are the things that also build me. Uh, and those, those, those are the things that will be, I don't want you to just do this job. Mm-hmm. but sure you have to do it well like when you're working with us but i'm very happy for you to develop different other skills and interests and you know even other career um abilities that mm-hmm. will for sure bring back to the community and the family awesome and what would you say was the biggest skill or strength or benefit that you had to offer when you started bro boat project was it the skills that you developed at um working uh mr porter was it creative skills was it pr skills was it a network and contacts like what was your biggest advantage um i guess the advantage was probably the understanding of you know kind of east west dynamics i guess right. i feel like you know for sure from like mr porter and stuff i learned all the the essential crucial part um, and also how you work with different brands, uh, making sure that their message is like, you know, carried out well um, and, you know, all the content commerce side of things. Um, it was, but then I feel like when I was, cause I like worked with different like local agencies or PR agencies and stuff before uh, as the client side, um, you know, sure. You know, they do amazing jobs like on, on, on all those tasks but I always felt like there was something I different that I could do that makes it a bit more fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I feel like a lot of, you know, I think like foreign brands kind of, can, they, we feel, they feel like we can speak the same language, well, literally and also metaphorically, um, so that they feel like, but at the same time, I also can speak the same language with like people here, like literally and metaphorically. <laughs> so it was kind of like the good, yeah, like diplomat, I guess, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> uh, I always say I'm actually just, you know, doing diplomacy in fashion. Um, but yeah, I think that was for sure, uh, because I, you could kind of see like a lot of, um, you know, sometimes some fashion workers in China, they would kind of come up or want to do things that the like people from other countries wouldn't fully be able to comprehend uh and then sometimes they may feel like oh maybe it's not on brand maybe this is not right maybe he she is not right because the rules are very very different of how you play it but then there is that way that you can connect the two um for sure so i feel like that was probably our ad- advantage yeah your competitive <laughs> advantage awesome and how about um uh... How important, how important is network in your model? Like knowing designers, knowing people, knowing clients, how important was it? And yeah. how, did, how did you personally develop it? Right, for sure, it's super important. But I feel like uh, I never kind of developed networks on the basis of 
networking. Right. Uh, I think a lot of, uh, you know, I guess networks that, that you can call it now is we're just like friends <laughs> before. Uh, we were just like partying together <laughs> or like hanging out. Sure. You guys uh, went to the same schools. You were in the same social circles. Not- yeah, not really the same schools. Or I guess also like I was writing the column before us, um, and uh, that for sure like you know like made a lot of connections and the friendships. Uh, but I think also it's, it's kind of like I always joke about it is that you know we were literally just partying together somewhere in the world, and then now we've we've grown up <laughs> and we're like now we're own. old. Yeah. Now we're, now we're old and have careers. Own, like, career and then all of a sudden our career career paths all come kind of together. You know, like. Um, you know, I, with a lot of brands. And then obviously you have that trust base that has been built for so many years, not just based on uh, working, but of course, you know, we all, we all know that each other do good stuff. Uh, so it just becomes very in- instinctive and natural to work together now. And I guess, yeah, then it's word of mouth. And then I always, I think very important part is I always try to be nice to everybody um because you i always tell my staff as well you don't want to burn bridges that may <laughs> cut off the road somewhere you know this person may just be a fashion assistant but he or she will become a director one day maybe you know and then you don't want to like <laughs> burn the bridge you know for the potential future mm-hmm. so always be kind and nice to everyone always make friends with them first instead of wanting something directly that's always bad sure. um and yeah always just like I, before when I used to go on meetings we just talk about like even it was like a work meeting like we don't talk about work the whole lunch and then at the very end we're like, oh by the way like you've become friends with them you, you, I, I wanted to get to know this person uh you know like have like real connections or find that connection mm-hmm. and then at the very end I'm like oh by the way we got this coming up like do you want to work together it's like yeah sure you know and then it's like done mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, I get it. So it was a very, very organic process. You guys maybe out of going events, you started treating people nicely. You obviously had something in common. The relationship developed itself as again, mostly as a friendship organically. And that has, uh, as a result, reflected itself in, you know, this, the networking effect sort of. Yeah. I guess, yeah, it was kind of like, I'd never thought, to be honest, I didn't think I would want to be, start my own business before it just kind of happened <laughs> and it just kind of felt like, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, it makes sense actually <laughs> for me to do this. I feel like I kind of have to do this. And more and more, I feel like, oh shit. I, I f- sometimes I feel like, oh, I like it's, it's me or like <laughs> probably no one. <laughs> so I have to do this uh, and more and more. It's like becoming in this way. And of course, you know, everything I do um, it, also with the brands that we choose to work with, I, always be really careful because um you know i think it's it's a two-way thing it's not like you come even you know even if you come with a with with a budget but if if there's no click here uh i'm not gonna be able to deliver amazing work but if you come and then we really connect and also with my whole team as well they have to also you know have the connection Mm -hmm. um and we can work exceptionally (laughs) because we all believe in it together yeah of course awesome and when it comes to services what do you think the biggest again dissonance in that sense is do you think companies really struggle understanding how to communicate creatively uh is it more about understanding how to communicate and relate with with social and philosophical ideas 
what is the biggest challenge? Because I, I, I'm trying to understand if China has a completely different way of thinking about, you know, creative identity in general, or is it mostly just the creative language is international, you know, it can be understood everywhere, but it's just a matter of how that is connected with relevant events, relevant people, relevant cultural figures. Uh, what is the, the challenge or the dissonance mostly? I think working, it's still very much in, I think, cultural understanding, like cross-cultural understanding. Right. Uh, for sure. I think that's still the biggest dissonance here. Um, and that's also actually a large part of our, my, like our day-to-day work, actually. Um, you know, if we have great ideas, we have to make, we have to also have this idea be understandable for let's say a, a french person or italian person mm-hmm. and vice versa um and i feel like that process of you know nuance and figuring out the boundaries of everyone and their comfort zones or even it's like you know we want to work with something that's super out like groundbreaking here and that's super different from what the brand would normally do in the west mm-hmm. which is actually happening nowadays um, and I'm very happy that we're able to kind of push them to try new limits here as well, kind of like this experimental yeah. uh, playground at the moment. Um, I feel like, especially when a lot of like foreign brands come to China, previously they would, I feel like before they sometimes had this notion of what they are bringing to China. But I think this new notion is how you're going to work and collaborate with China, mm. um, which is super, super important. Uh, because you can't just come, I feel like now, in, like less and less so, you can't just come in with, sure, you know, your work must be amazing, uh, but why should people here care? Um, that's like there's a lot of a very, amazing brands, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's becoming a big dissonance here nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, of course, that's done through, um, like, really, like, storytelling that people here would really understand in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to take an example, which, which is a project that we started recently, with Dries Van Oten. Um, I'm super happy. You know, I'm a personally a huge fan with, of them since my like student years. Um, and so, you know, they have this huge like heritage of 30, like three decades of, uh, of work of the brand. Um, but then when, at the beginning, when I talked to some of my colleagues who were born probably like after two, like 1995 or, or the Gen Z generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of them don't know uh, they're like oh yeah i've heard about the brand oh really uh and you feel like that's kind of the similar because we didn't have internet or international fashion publications in the 90s of so people here were kind of like missed out on a big part of what was going on in the world uh of course there are like you know some really like elites and like people in in the industry would understand and understand love. of course highly educated but ones the- yeah yeah, so then I was like, well, so they've done like uh, more than 100, like probably 50 now shows. Um, they have this amazing like shows, like uh, two books of like one to 100 shows. And they kind of documented every shows behind the scene, um, kind of the process in dot like uh, text and like vintage film photos and stuff. And I thought it was incredible. And we have to bring this uh, kind of translated to almost like archive it here on like digital like their digital channels in China uh, and then that just kind of became everyone was so interested uh, we just posted their 
kind of the the announcement of it and also the first show uh, in the archive project and then you can really see people connecting with it in a whole different way um, um, yeah and to understand the brand that you know, probably like they come here, they think that everybody already knows, but actually, no, you have to re almost retell your story in a way that people here would understand, mm. uh, which is super important. Yeah. Yeah. It's like learning how to speak a different language, literally. Yeah. And, and, exactly. and how, how do you help brands or how to, should branch approach that while still being true to themselves? Because I think that is the biggest challenge, right? Uh, whenever yeah. you're trying to be relevant to any new audience or philo philosophical ideas or culture is, okay, I can understand it. You know, I can understand their viewpoints, but how is that relatable or how is that translatable to who I am as a brand or who I am as a designer? Because, you know, a lot of their jobs is just to have a very solidified and assertive sense of who they are. But, you know, it's, 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 it's a weird, it's a weird balance. So how, how do you approach it? Yeah, so um, because the the cultural landscapes nowadays are becoming so like separated, more and more so, I feel like. So I always feel like we have to drag the two strings and pull them in together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, here there's completely different celebrity landscape, very different entertainment, idols, uh, the arts, culture, creative photography, everything's becoming kind of like we're growing a different sprout. Yeah. And, um, and in every asker, right? Because even so, for example, and this is, this is me as a Mexican, correct me if, if, if this is the same thing in China, but you talk about, you talk about racism, you talk about politically correct ideologies. Uh, you talk about this entire movement that is massive in, you know, the West and in Mexico, nobody cares about it. Like nobody <laughs> at all, you know, and it's, it's difficult because you're getting this really, really strong pull, as you said, towards a certain direction as a brand yet, on the other side, you're getting the opposite, you know, maybe, maybe it's actually not productive for you to be talking about this because we don't care about this. We don't think it's that important. We think this is important, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so I think in, when it comes to that, uh, you kind of have to extract the core essences of the brand. Let's say, um, what's an example? Um, I think every brand, for sure, you know, these political causes and activism and stuff, you know, it's huge in the US and kind of like every brand have to follow that path right now, have to have a political stance. Mm -hmm. uh, for sure, it's much less. So it's like, it's not like that here either. Um, yeah, and then here, it's kind of like you have to, and also China's huge. It's a huge country. You have to think of it as Europe. Uh, and different cities and regions have their own habits and mindsets. Um, and even to like, how do you speak to everyone or like it's becoming harder and harder as well um so then you really have to so what, what i feel like i always would do is to yeah extract that core essence of the brand let's say is it music is it floral is it um like kind of contemporary art is it graffiti is it abstract is it uh, and you kind of take those elements and you have to find the the similar communities here uh and you have to kind of plant these things into the communities here uh of course you have to do it in a in kind of a pyramid form so on the very top you have like the super high-end brand building stuff that you have to do in the middle is, uh, yeah like all that stuff to get people know the name uh and like this jacket for example the sweater uh and then in the middle is like the storytelling part which you really have to do well and that's super hard here because some a lot of times you have to go back to the beginning to tell the story um is you know through all the digital like uh, social media channels and also through 
um, kind of how do you almost like translate the story in a way that people care here. And then at the bottom part is more like kind of community building. Um, we call it cultural opinion leaders now. So it's like there's key opinion leaders, which is like the influencers, but cultural opinion leaders are like the innovators, people. the guys that have a thousand followers, yeah. but are doing things that nobody else is doing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yes. So, and I think that's also for sure in the West as well with TikToks and this, these new algorithms, it kind of changed the way how we perceive who is famous mm -hmm. uh, or who, who is amazing, not famous. Um, so, you know, before you kind of, and I think that, which I'm super happy about as well, I think previously a lot of the influences were just flaunting of things they have and the, their, their wealth. But I feel like the new generation want to see, they don't care about what you have, they care about what you do um so what you do is becoming more important so then we're seeing these like you know it could be like a guy who's like super young but has like started his own art museum because he has right. great taste right uh, or it could be like this guy who's like a scientist studying uh quantum physics but like it's telling the you know through like vlogs uh explaining to kids what it is mm -hmm. um it could be a guy who's super into biology and like studies all the ecosystems of like different uh mountain ranges um that's cool you know i think that people are perceiving things very differently now in this new generation right wow very interesting and what's your personal approach to understanding all of these factors because and again using myself as an example uh, because probably maybe people in the audience might relate a little bit more with me uh, because of my lack of understanding in this particular topic, of course. Uh, whenever I look or try to understand, you know, modern culture, you know, the 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 17-year-olds, people that are, you know, defining what, you know, culture is going to be in the future. I mean, I, I try to understand. I, I have these conversations and I notice that, like, I think, wow, I'm so old. Like, I'm so outdated. Every single time that I have this new conversation, first with a 23-year-old, then with a 20-year-old, then with a 17-year-old, like the, the mindset shift happens so, so quickly that a 27-year-old can have those conversations and, and be like, I, ha I have no idea what's going on. You know, I don't understand yeah. this at all because of the speed that it's moving in. So how do you approach it? Is it like a continuous learning process? Do you go out there, you have conversations? Uh, do you see what's happening? Do you see what's relevant? Like, how do you approach this learning process? Because it's, again, it's, it's, it's so fast. And I've just noticed that it becomes increasingly faster. Yeah. Yes, um, for sure. Uh, I think, so that's also why I want to have the company, like, or our team quite democratic. And that's, that's actually precisely why. Mm. Um, like, I was like probably cool when I was like, <laughs> Dude, like early I was I was cool like four <laughs> years ago. What happened? <laughs> what, what, what happened? Like, like how did four I, years, I was cool? <laughs> I had a party like, that doesn't get yeah. anything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I always, you know, for sure, I have to admit that you know, with all these like business and company and stuff. I don't party as much <laughs> like before. I don't go to like the coolest, edgiest parties anymore. I still try to though. Actually, I feel like I go to more than, uh, you know, my Gen Z stops <laughs> uh, to like, like raves and parties. Um, but, you know, really just like, not, I think not just about partying or like the musical culture, it's really about, we call it in China, like the very, like, how do you call it? Like perpendicular. Um, whatever you're into, dig in, like mm. dig into that, whatever you're like, you know, that is. Um, and I always just like, I, everyone can come into my office, like the interns do the assistants. And I always asked, oh, like, what are you watching nowadays? Uh, and then they're like, oh, they, they talk about something, this show, or I always ask everyone's opinion uh, if we need to brainstorm something. 
and I, you know and very often you know like it's like oh wow actually I, so like this this kid who studies law uh like joined us as an intern um and then I discover he's like he seems like this very kind of serious shy timid kind of guy uh and then I just kind of had a conversation with him and I realized he's like super into Chinese supermodels uh and he like follows them and like you know in this like huge fandom situation knows everyone and what shows they walk this season and like all the statistics and who's in who's not I was like well actually you could be a really good casting director and uh, you know like for this project you know you could kind of take the lead and like contact them and you know uh, work with them um, you kind of you know like I'm not as in like I'm not as crazy about Chinese supermodels I, I know them you know some of them are, are my good friends but you know the industry really well mm -hmm. uh, in that sense or you know this girl who's like um, she's a bit of an influencer herself as well she has her own fan group chats <laughs> where she like delivers daily uh, <laughs> doses of content and then she also asks them about you know like such as feminist topics um, she kind of had this kind of body image uh, anxiety phase before, but then now she's become super confident about it and very vocal about it as well. Um, so then, you know, like I oftentimes ask her about her experiences as, you know, a, a young woman and in China kind of like, even like she's also has a big online following and kind of online opinions. Of course, there's people like talking shit about her, but there's also a lot of supporters as well. So you kind of get a feel of um like kind of new generation chinese kids um sensibility on body on even sex uh gender kind of yeah those topics so and then yeah we also have another one who's like super into drag culture um so i mean i also go to a lot of the drag balls and it's super fun here it's like a huge thing nowadays the voguing ball scene uh and then one of our teammates he's like at work, he's like dressed as a Uniqlo, like total look, <laughs> uh, kind of like he looks like he works in IT. <laughs> and whenever we need to go out to an event, he's like, wait a minute. And he changes into this like glam, <laughs> like, but then, you know, <laughs> look with this crazy makeup, uh, super fun. So you kind of tap it, you know, of course, through everyone's world and visions, you learn and you continue to have to evolve with times as well. Yeah. Awesome. No, I, I love that, that learning approach relative, like based on team building and having that team building approach of, okay, not only what can they bring to the table, but how can I, what can I learn from them? You know, or what, what can we learn from each other in that sense? Because it is, it is, it is, I understand what you mean in terms of understanding what certain people are specializing in, in terms of their interests or their actual skills and understanding how they can bring or how you can create this almost like collaborative environment by a lot of people that have yes, their own fields of expertise and specialize in or interest, but that at the same time can complement each other in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in an environment, in a working environment and a personal environment as well. For sure. Yeah. I mean, like it's, especially like we work in PR and like creatives. Um, I can't know every single person on the planet. Uh, and I also can't think of every crazy idea on the planet either. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's more about this process that we need to talk about. And I'm also very much the kind of person, I can't think of anything on my own. I need to always talk to someone and then the idea will come out through the conversation. So yeah, that's mm. very important. To me. Interesting. And where do you think everything going, how do you think everything's going to look going forward relative to, you know, everything that we've discussed? Do you think that there is a higher probability of, you know, internationally brands really understanding how to, you know, 
almost mold themselves relative to the to the country and the location and the culture? Or do you think this is just going to help local uh, local cultures, local markets, local brands really become the next big things? So is, is it going to continuously be monopolized, monopolized or whatever the word is in English, you know, controlled by the bigger brands that learn how to do this productively? Or is it more a fact of this is giving more opportunity to the brands that are local to their own markets and to their own locations? Um, I think it's definitely going um, in also a more equalized positioning mm-hmm. um, I think Margaret being in Vogue China was also a very big paradigm shift for sure um, I was you know I, yeah like of course like coming in at this age she's I think one year older than us mm-hmm. um, I think at that super high position like uh, I was in a meeting with her today and I'm sure she like must be going through insane pressure as well but then I think what she's doing is that and it's also very similar to our to my belief is to level up the playing field and have make real connections between East and West. Like she, you know, for example, we, we want to like have a super established kind of like, I don't know, Nicola Gesquia, Jonathan Anderson, for example, you know, like kind of think wild uh, to connect or collaborate with a local Chinese designer uh, or have com- having conversation. Uh, I know last year, the um, uh, Pier Paolo from Valentino uh, collaborated with uh, Caroline Hu, who's a very young Chinese couturier. Like she's not, well, she's not a couturier, but whatever she does is like feels very couturier and mm-hmm. very contemporary as well. And I think that's what's what you know for sure. What I'm also wanting to do as well is to connect um, the people so that we're not just playing in parallel universes. We want to start making the conversations happen. Uh, of course, with our connections both here and internationally as well. Uh, I really want to use that strength and yeah, so that we're not just talking our own, each other's stories anymore. I think that was happening a lot before we need to like talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that I understand. So it's, uh, it's not a matter of, 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 of uh, it's not a zero sum game of, you know, the big companies that they learned how to do this productively would eventually, you know, stay at the top again. And it's also not, you know, it's going to be a big window of only the small designers to come up, but it's going to be a balance. It's, it's going to be more, as you said, a collaboration, you know, the opportunity to, you know, help brands, local brands get established while at the same time, hell international brands, uh, cement themselves in very specific geographical and cultural locations. Yeah. Also, I think, um, I think especially since this year, I'm starting to kind of get more and more like, well, there's a couple of projects ongoing, can't disclose yet, but they're kind of like the bigger international luxury brands. Uh, and they're now very much willing to listen to us actually. <laughs> and we're just proposing all these like new creatives and crazy ideas and stuff. And they kind of, ex- they accepted it. Uh, and they actually, we found that connection between like us and the creative director in, you know, in Europe or US. Uh, and they really believed. Um, so I think that's super exciting is that um, they're starting to see this creative value of what we're making here uh, or the scene and everyone, what everyone's doing. Um, and they're now we're much more open to communicate and, and work together. That's super exciting. And I think even from and a lot of the big brands now are even looking at, let's say, who are we inviting to like the new cool designer shows uh, and see, okay, so like now there's like this trend. So like, so sometimes they become like, you know, then 
other some of the big luxury brands start to like invite them like the kind of seeing through the youth movements through our work and you know for sure like we'll grow up as well so we'll have our stance so you know one day we'll like we're already starting to work with the luxury brands um to bring these things up and up okay interesting yeah no i I completely get what you're saying so it's it's you know the the mentor, the big figure, and the underdog collaborating in in, 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 in specific ways, which used to not happen at all. You know, the 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 the, the bigger players have all the control, all the vision, all the decision making, and now those people are becoming a lot more open minded in terms of you know how they can learn and work with you know people that are you know the underdogs of the industry, the up and coming designers. They can apply with both designers. They can apply to creative agencies, PR agencies, artists. Uh, again, anything, anybody that would be relevant creatively in this industry or any other asset aspect of the industry. Yeah, so I think it's super exciting times, actually. Interesting. And what was the biggest shift that you think happened because of COVID? Because I think that, you know, if, if we can learn anything about this, this the last few years is that it just accelerated things that were already going to happen anyway. Uh, but what have you seen has been the biggest shift and i don't really want to talk about you know social media because it's clearly obvious you know that everything that was digitalized is now 100 times stronger you know e-commerce social media communication social media platforms uh, the importance of direct-to-consumer e-commerce uh, but other than that what i mean maybe, maybe more culturally philosophically and, and communications wise or creatively what has been the biggest shift that you've noticed i think um well, how China, you know, experienced COVID, I feel like it's a little bit different than the rest of the world. Of course. Um, like now I'm in a lockdown, which is like haven't happened since 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like I'm back to two years ago, uh, which I'm actually really enjoying because I'm like, oh, finally I have time to like <laughs> read. <laughs> I like to get back. Um, but at the beginning, uh, you know, I think from a very macro perspective, um, like the world has become quite fucked up. Globalization seems to have stopped and gone backwards. Now mm-hmm. with the war coming up and then China like being this super sensitive position in the world, uh, I think this has definitely resulted in, and of course, you know, but at the same time, like uh, at the same time, China became like a, still a bigger and bigger share in global fashion consumption. Of course. Uh, so it's kind of like this huge, uh, well, as the West call it, an ideological uh, rivalry. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, you, like everyone is so dependent on each other. Uh, so I feel like this dynamic is becoming really well, tricky, but at the same time, like, you know, um, also quite, like, I guess, exciting. Uh, not, not exciting. No, I hate it. But at the same time, it kind of fused. Yeah, interesting. Kids. Curious. Yeah. Yes. But I feel like this situation, especially, you know, the past few years, like people aren't able to come in and we aren't able to go out kind of, or I guess in a way uh, fused us uh, like our generation to take place because (laughs) they have to completely trust us now. Uh, And I think through a couple of the exercises and things that we have done, like with big, like big or small local and international global projects, uh, we kind of developed uh, or developing this global standard more and more and more. Uh, I think not just in creative, creatives, um, like photography, writing, like stylists, art directors, like everyone's kind of like getting, got their chance to do huge global projects. Right. Uh, 
that happens here or you know that will translate also to the rest of the world so i think this was definitely a very interesting um kind of thing that happened i guess and on a more uh, micro or civic level i feel like it definitely stopped a whole generation of chinese kids um to look outwards which is very strange because mm. uh, I think our like our generation like I I like went to every corner of the world like fell in love party like did everything, mm-hmm. traveled uh you know, like backpacked uh like just crashed random things and then you know like I feel like that's how I grew up you know like like crash like when I was younger I just crash random pa- Paris Fashion Week parties and then like get drunk and then like meet new people, mm-hmm. uh and then that kind of formed my. I guess not. Yeah, connection. Yeah, your identity. Yeah, yeah. My identity, and I feel like this, like at least you know, a lot of my employees who are from the next generation who probably got, you know, when they were studying abroad or CSM and stuff, they actually was just online, and then even though they were in London, they couldn't meet anyone. There was nothing happening, so they kind of come back, and then I, I can feel that they're very, they're like missing a very big part of it, and mm-hmm. I feel very like eager to, you know, like I was talking with um. Starburst from a Shinean and um, you know like this legendary store in London I'm sure you know uh, like he was talking about all these things that happened you know in Sif in Copenhagen and then the stuff that he did with like with Olaf Eliasson and all these like designers uh, from Kiko to Paula Canovas and you know all these people and a lot of I feel like a lot of the times the the younger kids they haven't been there they haven't they didn't go to Paris or like you know any of these random places like or any of these places in the world so they'll they will never really understand what it really like the importance or the meaning behind these things so I feel like that's a little bit of a shame uh, of course we have a very vibrant things happening here um, so then now they've become really much like very much just looking inwards um, so that's something I feel like. Um, and when you say looking inwards, do you mean uh, personally or do you mean in the sense of their identity as well? Because I guess then I find you saying that's super, super interesting, because, again, our our generation was, you know, as you said, it was always looking outwards. It was all about, you know, what's next. That's not here. That's not here with me. That's either. And it could be a personal idea, you know, like. Yeah oh, this is what my parents think, but I know this is not what the world thinks. And I know that this is not what the, what the, what is out there. It can be for a creatively. Oh, this is the artist here, but I know this is not how the world is creatively. And, and that affects, that affects how we, how we, how we view the world, right? We view the world as a very international place. We understand it. We view it that way. Yes. It's different countries. There's different political ideologies. Uh, there's different rivalries, but we don't feel them because we don't relate with them, right? Personally, we understand them superficially, but we don't relate with them at the deeper level. Uh, but do you think the younger generations, because of that, are relating to you know difference differences and because of the nature, the, the, the conflicting nature of, of the world in the recent years? Do you feel that that sort of sense and that flexibility when it comes to not only you know creative creative creativity, but also ideologically is happening as well? Yeah, for sure. Because I think our generation, like when we just went everywhere in the world and you met everyone in the world. You met like, an, you met somebody from, uh, from you went to school with somebody from Saudi Arabia, somebody from the States, yeah, yeah. somebody that yeah. your, 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 your grandparents might have think is, you know, comes from like a terrorist family yeah. or something, you know, you, you, you know, we, we understand the world as it is because of our international yeah. uh, experiences with it. And that affects how you view it, right? And that affects how you think about things politically. Like right now, if you look at the conflict, 
I'm assuming you you understand the rivalries between China and the United States, but you don't feel them yourself, you know, because because oh. you you, you kind of have both things in you. And yeah. if, if, if all of a sudden that flips and, you know, younger people start stop feeling or having these experiences that allow them to have this 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 point of view of the world, it might help. It might be you know, detrimental in terms of, you know, how are they, they able to relate to develop themselves ideologically, creatively, yeah. personally, professionally. Yeah. For sure. I think it very much comes down to person. Like we're, we're, we're humans, you know, like, you know, let's say I meet an American. Sure. We have crazy ideological, like on a macro level, we seem like, we seem like we should be enemies, but we just really fucking love each other. We think each other's super cool and great. So then that will change how you view uh, these macro things. These events, deal, you know. Things that happen. Like I have Ukrainian friends. So like, and I also have Russian friends. Uh, so then of course, you know, both sides. And I think meeting them. Uh, so I think kids nowadays, when they're not able to go outside and just meet random people from around the world uh, and talk to them uh, and have that connection. Also for the world to see like, that oh like I'm sure a lot of the world would think of China as like you know everyone in army walking across like people like uh, Tiananmen Square sure. uh, or like these you know super scary like uh, like factories and like Foxconn and then all the time I'm like well you know what like <laughs> sure but we also have a voguing ball <laughs> happening tonight and like we're also going to a music festival like we're also the same like we're just people as well and I think when you understand the world from people. Uh, you understand it completely differently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So a lot of my friends tell me, like, like you know, sometimes they, they look at our Instagrams as the window to see what's really happening in China versus what they're reading and watching on the news. Uh, and that is the big miscommunication and misunderstanding that's created from this, you know, the serious stuff. Uh, so I think on the civic cultural stuff, I want to make this as fluid and everyone to understand each other better as much as possible and i think fashion and is a medium in a sense yeah i know 100 and the industry in general the, the the open nature of the industry helps it helps people become developed in this sense like internationally uh but now that you said that because of what's happening you know with, with covid politically uh, people don't get the opportunity to have these experiences how have you seen it affects them uh and it could be it could be maybe a theory or something that you've observed like what are the dangers of that yeah, I think it's very dangerous, actually, because, for example, the other day I heard, uh, you know, for example, like a, a, a colleague of mine or a friend of mine who probably didn't study abroad um, and, you know, he or she wouldn't look outwards as much or even they don't follow that many people on Instagram, for example. Um, they don't they really don't see the opinion from the other side. So she was telling me about this thing, how which was super pro-Russia. And I was like, what? How could a 21-year-old, like, I just, it kind of blew my mind. I was like, wow, I didn't know. I mean, for sure, she's innocent. She's completely innocent. Right. It's just because the the information, like she doesn't have friends. The references, yeah. She doesn't have the experiences. Talk about these things uh, or the the news sources. Um, You know, not everybody here, like people here don't won't read New York Times all the time, like kids don't read news anymore. Uh, They don't they're not going to read different opinions like I was, you know, I study this so I'm super interested every day I watch news as a way to relax but and get more stressed. (laughs) Um, 
but yeah so i feel like that's super scary is that if they don't have that human connection with the world and all they see is is hatred like expressed through news and online kind of comments that's super dangerous for the world that we're about to go into mm. in the next days and i think that's the that's a very similar problem um not just here it's everywhere in the world everywhere. as well yeah, it's like how in the US there's such a big political divide nowadays, anywhere in the country, populism, because people don't see or have human connection on the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the more and more and more they believe so strongly in what they're told or you know what they've read. That's, yeah. That, that is so interesting. I've yeah. never thought about it that way. I have never thought about, you know, the, uh, the micro-ideological problems that came as a result of being locked in of being locked in both literally physically in your house but also with what you're seeing in your phone and i never thought about it that way and you know it's funny how you sort of learn things through these conversations because again i never experienced that ideological extremism of believing very strongly in this or believing super strongly on this other thing i've always been very flexible but it's again because of my experience the experience of our generation of being able to travel, being able to understand, being able to know people. Uh, and wow, that is that is going to be not a good thing creatively, of course, but also, you know, in every single aspect. Wow. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So I, feel like, I feel like at least on whatever we're, you know, what we're try- what we're doing here um, is really mean like impactful and meaningful. Um and I think whatever we're doing on a day-to-day basis as well um, through PR or creatives mm-hmm. uh, is to also spread the same message. Is message. That, yeah. Like, yes, sure. You know, everybody thinks that we live in this super scary totalitarian regime city where there's no life. Uh, but actually, no, like we're also just people. I want to show them that we, we also want to have fun. We also like party. We also like, <laughs> DJ and we love we love the same music you know like once the moment you find these connections and similarities with people from anywhere in the world you start to understand the world very differently and yeah yeah and you can you can treat a a a business a professional relationship just as you would a personal relationship if you have those fundamental understanding of you know the differences between yes this company and this country but also this person and this person individually right for sure. Yeah. Awesome, Bohan. Well, that's been an awesome conversation. Uh, wow. I, I can talk about these things for hours. So I do have to get, make it to a stop special because I don't know how late it is over there. Um, but I do want to end this episode on the last note that I always try to end on. And that is if you could go back to, you know, whatever point, whatever part of your life you need the biggest piece of advice, it could be professional, it could be personal advice, it could be creative advice what would be the biggest piece of advice that you give yourself and why? Give myself yeah. or other people. No, yourself. If you could go back to a particular moment in your time where you needed advice the most, and it could be creatively, it could be career related, it could be personal, what would be the best piece of advice you give yourself and why? Mm. Be patient. <laughs> Super stupid, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, says a guy with twenty. Says a guy that a twenty-seven has a PR I understand that. I understand that. I understand. At twenty-one, I thought like, hey, why do I have like my own business with a hundred people? I'm twenty-one. Like, what's what's going on? <laughs> I think it's because no. I think because before I always wanted to do a million things, 
Um, but then actually, you know, other people told me this advice actually. And then I was like, no, I'm not gonna. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, actually it makes sense. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I, think, I think you always understand something when you're older. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> I think I think it was more kind of referring to, um, you know, like our generation. We grew up with like TED Talks and like <laughs> Instagram and like yeah, YouTube, uh, YouTube's. Um, and I feel like yeah, you you always seem to probably like want something really fast, uh, and that's innate uh, into our <laughs> nature, of course, uh, especially our generation. So I think I'm happy that I. I think especially the, the 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 four years that I spent at Mr. Porter and then like all the things that I did before, it made sense at one point, um, and it just kind of felt natural for me to do this um, now. Um, and you know who knows what I'll be doing next, <laughs> but first this is kind of the mission I have to do now, so I have to like complete this mission. Um, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So just be patient and things will eventually happen for you. I agree, man. I yeah. agree with that. Like I mean, rushing, it's just... into things, rushing into things will always, I feel like do the opposite or, mm -hmm. or like when you're becoming, when you're too forceful of relationship or opportunities, it don't, it, it never end up well. Yeah. And you just suffer emotionally for, I mean, it's a very, it's, it's a very emotionally challenging process, right? Uh, yeah. you know, being around so many possibilities, having everything almost at the tip of your fingertips, but, you know, you know, looking at social media and finding this guy that at 20 years old has a brand because of this or whatever variable yeah. and comparing yourself with that. And it, it is a very emotionally difficult process, not only because of, you know, anxiety, depression, but also the fact of, Hey, it affects how productive you can get to your own goals because you're chasing things all the time, different things, different now this, this tomorrow, then that tomorrow, then quit. And I understand the process. I understand. I think that every 20 year old probably went through the similar process, especially the creative people, you know, because creative people, we always like to do everything and we're interesting in everything. So I do understand where you're coming from and I completely agree with it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, awesome, Bohan, man, that was a good episode. I really enjoyed that conversation. I really did. Cool. I don't, again, I sit with a lot of, most of the times I sit with a lot of, you know, 40 year old, 50 year old executives uh, yeah. <laughs> which I can really appreciate, understand, but you know, it's, it's refreshing to, uh, to sit down and talk with somebody that, you know, comes from some, uh, somewhere that very similar to where I come from, uh, and yeah. just looks at the world in the same way, man, because at the end yeah, of the day, uh, that's what's important. Yeah. Well, you know, unite. <laughs> high <five>. <laughs> <laughs> Digital high five. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. Like, you know, we should all, we're all humans, you know, like you're from Mexico. We're like, furthest places away from you know on the planet but like you can find this connection and you understand each other and each other's culture differently yeah awesome Mohan. well well thanks for being on the podcast man i really mean it it was awesome to have this conversation with you thank you for inviting me it was been it's been fun <laughs> happy to talk about these things